You're listening to audio from Journey Bible Church. Join us every week for sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you would like to connect with us, head to journeybible.org connect. Good morning. Welcome. If you're a guest uh, here at Journey this morning, my name's uh, Mike Bickley, and I serve uh, Jesus on staff here. And uh, you're coming at the right time. And if you're a regular and you're a member, uh, you're here for a good reason. We believe that God wants to use us to impact our community, and our world. And so we're in a vision series we're calling One Epic Journey. And we're just exploring in more tangible detail what it is that God is doing with us as we join him in the places he's opening doors and allowing us to work in our community and around the world. Our vision statement's pretty simple. We want to be a movement of Christ followers who are transforming our community in our world. And so we're spending four weeks on this vision statement and the biblical basis behind it and the practical ways that we're trying to implement it. So in week one, we talked about being a movement and what a movement is. And we talked about how we don't want to just be an organization. We don't just want to be an institution. We want to be people dynamically impacting the culture and the individuals that are around us. And we talked about how a movement uh, has four components. First, we talked about momentum, how you and I need to be spirit-filled believers that are actively, daily taking steps of faith. Then we talked about management, how we have to collaborate with one another and cooperate and coordinate as a church, as a kingdom outpost in this world. And then we do that to multiply, to reproduce, to make more and better disciples. And then at the center is our motive. We are motivated to get God glory. We want him to be made famous in our community and around the world. And so that's what we did uh, in the first week. And then last week, in our second week, we talked about the idea that we are a movement of Christ followers. We're not a movement of good people in the community. We specifically are individuals that have been radically transformed. And we walked through uh, the mission of Jesus, how he came to seek and to save the lost. And so the lost are people who need to be found and need to be saved. And Jesus said, that's why I came. I came so that those people who don't know me can find me and follow me. So we looked at the scriptures, and and we looked at a scripture for each one of these where we realized that people move from lost, from being in darkness and deceived and enslaved, living lives that are hopeless and guilty and condemned, how they're dead to God, dead to one another, dead in their sin. And then we talked about how they've been redeemed and brought into the light where the truth of God has freed them, and they are finding hope and being cleansed and washed, and how they're being forgiven and experiencing eternal life. And we said that the basis of the ability for us to transform our community and our world is to experience the transformation of Christ personally. 
And that's, that's our challenge to those of you that may be here that haven't yet experienced the life-giving of Jesus Christ. That would be the first thing we would hope for you. And we hope that, that as we go through this series, you might find more information that persuades you of who Christ is, what Christ has done, and why you should find him as your Savior and follow him as your Lord. And that leads us to this morning where we want to talk about transforming our community. We want to talk about what it would look like to see God transform the hearts of individuals and even the culture of our community. We believe in a big God. We don't believe God is done working in the world. We believe God wants to continue working in the world. So we have to ask this question, what would community transformation look like in our city? So I was thinking about it this week, and this is the way I thought about it. Do I have a grade school teacher in the auditorium? Any grade school teachers? Stand up. Do you mind standing up? You can say no. If you thought as a grade school teacher, if our community was transformed, what would be one thing that would be different in the classroom? Okay, great. You can sit down. That's awesome. Yeah. I had, I, you guys know that in, in um, Olathe, 10 of our 35 schools are Title I schools. Do you know what the number one focus of a Title I school is? It is not just to provide economic assistance for food. The number one focus is to get parents engaged because many of these kids are coming from broken homes. You know, if I had a high school teacher here, do I have a high school teacher in the auditorium? Any chance? Can't tell? Back here, okay, what would you say would change in the culture of a high school if people's hearts were being transformed? Awesome, thank you. You know what I wrote down? I, I wrote down, um, students would live with hope rather than depression and would value each other rather than destroy each other. Amen. How about a police officer? Do I have a police officer in the room? Somebody working in the field of law enforcement. Okay, I don't see anybody standing. I know we have several. They're probably on our security detail today, you know? And, and I, what would they say? They would probably say, obviously, lower crime, but, you know, they would probably say peacefulness would exist in our community. And they, they would probably also say there would be an attitude of helping rather than hurting. What about a social worker? What about somebody working for DCF with somewhere between six and 7,000 kids in the, D, the child and foster system, 500 in Johnson County, 25 kids a month being pulled from their homes in Johnson County alone because of abusive and hurtful situations. What would they say would change if hearts were being transformed? I'm sure it would be something about abuse and violence and neglect of children. What about a counselor? What would a counselor say? 
who's constantly seeing people whose relationships are, are upside down and, and maybe who can't handle things in their past. I think they would say people are living with hope rather than depression and they're living in harmony rather than in the midst of hurt. See, that, that's what we believe God wants to do when we talk about bringing transformation to a city. So the question for us is, how does God do that? In the Bible, does he actually give us guidelines on how his kingdom outposts, the people of God living right now in their communities, can actually make a difference and bring transformation to a community? He does. As a matter of fact, the formula, the principled approach that God gives is very simple. It's the same in the Old Testament for the people of God as it really is for the New Testament in the people of God. It's just a little more specific now that Christ has arrived and unveiled for us the mystery of the gospel. So I want to give you a threefold biblical approach to how a church brings transformation to a community. I want to give you God's pattern that has been revealed in the scriptures on how we can bring transformation to our community. And it's, it's pretty simple. It's pretty profound. Sometimes we forget how some of the simplest things can actually be the most profound things. So here's number one. We choose, as God's people, to bless our community we choose to do good is the way the New Testament says it over and over and over. It tells us to do good deeds, to have honorable conduct in, light, in the light of the Gentiles. It tells us to do good to all men, but especially to those of the household of the faith. And over and over throughout the whole New Testament, this idea of you and I seeking to bless the community in which we live is really important. Got your Bibles? Turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, I want to just tell you a little bit about Jeremiah. He is prophesying to the last kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel has been wiped out. The southern kingdom is on their way out. At the time that Jeremiah 29 is being written, Jerusalem has fallen. And the leaders have already been exiled into Babylon. It won't be but another 15 years, and all of the remnants of uh, Judah and the southern kingdom, the kingdom of David, will be wiped out, and everybody will be in full exile. And so in Jeremiah 29, for the ones that are already sent into exile, God, and by the way, people like Daniel were in exile to Babylon, and that's where the book of Daniel was written. God was not finished with them. His plan was not disrupted by sending them in exile to live under a king who was not a follower of the true God. And this is what it says in Jeremiah 29. I'm going to pick up, it looks like I'm missing verses 1 through 3 here. Um. I've got them in mind. I'm just going to read them to you. Hold on. Don't read four yet, okay? I'm, I'm just going to read verse one and then skip two and three because they're more technical details. In verse one, it says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar 
had taken into exile. It said in verse 4, thus says the Lord. By the way, if you went into exile forcefully by a captive army, what would be your disposition towards those people? Anybody want to say unfavorable, antagonistic, angry? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So instead of maybe being a person who uh, is going to uh, despise the people that took me captive, I might just choose to trust in the sovereignty of God. If you're taking notes there, you might want to write that down, is how important it is for the people of God in exile. By the way, you're in exile. God says this is not your home. In the New Testament, you are as much in exile here on this earth, in this world, as the Old Testament people of God were in exile and captive to those foreign countries. This is not your home. This is not your final residence. And, and among the people with which you are living, you should see yourself as sovereignly placed here for a time such as this. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. It's really interesting. The next thing he says to them is settle down. Put your roots down. Buy a house. Plant a garden. Eat the produce. How important it is to settle in where you are. By the way, there are some of you that are here and you're like, well, Mike, I'm just passing through Kansas City. I'm only going to be here for a short while. Hey, they were hoping to get out of exile. So no matter where you are or how long you are, you should see the sovereignty of God is placing you there in that moment for this time. And while you're there, don't be just thinking about what's next. Think about where you are. Settle in. And then notice what he says. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. And so what he's saying there is he's saying that, you know what? Build strong families. Get married. Give your sons and daughters in marriage. Multiply, increase, build strong families. This has always been God's plan to transform a community. God's people, wherever they are, invest heavily in the nuclear family. Can I have an amen? amen. But I see two guys walk out together. I always fear I said something they don't like. And then, and then I remember, my job isn't to say what people like, is it? You know, it's to say what the Word says. We live in a society right now that is throwing out the definition of marriage, that's thrown out the definition of family, that is placing all of its baskets in the government as the ones who should be raising our kids. And I'm here to tell you, that's not God's design, that's not God's plan. So God's people, wherever they are, one of the most important things they can do is invest in their families, raise their kids to love the Lord the best that they can, to invest in their kids' friends and, and, and build a, a, a home that's a testimony to love and unity, to service, and to the lordship of King Jesus. 
I mean, even back then, the little lights, pockets of light all around the city that would be the exiles is the same today. The pockets of light from the sojourners in this world whose home is in heaven. And then he says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. So this is the fourth thing after building strong families. Is you seek the welfare. Do you know the word welfare there is shalom? It's the idea of well-being. And in the Old Testament, shalom is always connected to a relationship with God. So when you and I are seeking to do good in our community, to shalom our community, to pour out favor and goodness on our community, our desire is that with that would always come the opportunity to share with people about the God who wants to be in a relationship with them and how God made a path for them in Jesus Christ. Seek the welfare, the shalom, the wholeness, the well-being of the city where I have sent you. To Leewood, to Lenexa, to Overland Park, to Olathe, to Spring Hill. I don't know, anybody coming farther than that? Where? Paola. The outcasts. Uh, no, the outer banks, I guess, right? If we only had an ocean. Uh, so think about it. Think, think about that reality, that you're placed there as a light, not just to do good seeking the good of the city, but good in God's eyes. You're seeking the good God says is good, not the good culture says is good. The welfare, the shalom, the well-being in God's perspective of the city in which you live. And then he says this, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. One of the most significant spiritual things we can do to shape the direction of our city, of our county, of our state, and of our country is to pray. To pray fervently. That's why on, on Monday nights, the one coming up this Monday night, we have Seek First, an hour-long time of prayer for our nation, for our church, for our community, for our missionaries around the globe, for the places where God is at work. And we believe that when we pray, God works. He answers prayer. He moves in hearts in response to the prayers of his people. And then he says this, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In other words, when we bring goodness to our community, it brings goodness back to us. And so this is God's plan, is that you and I would bless our community. And we wouldn't just do it doing good, meeting physical needs, but we would do it from a spiritual perspective starting with the most spiritual of tasks, praying for our city. Now that first step can kind of seem um, a little bit big. Um, it can kind of seem generic. It's bless our community. I could be sitting out there and I go, I'm so glad that I'm a part of blessing our community through Journey Bible Church. And, and you may not be doing anything intentional that's a part 
of us blessing our community. And so that's the problem when we just have the big generic overall statement of what we will do. There can be a lack of specificity and a lack of accountability. And so in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, in the book of Leviticus and in all the Gospels, Jesus brought it home by telling us that we needed to get specific by loving my neighbor. In other words, I'm not off the hook. I can't just say, well, I'm a part of Journey Bible Church, and they've got this great stuff going on here in our community in, in the things that they're doing. No, I'm responsible to join in blessing my community by taking the very personal step of loving my neighbor. Do you guys see how important that is? Do you see how that brings accountability down to the family to family, coworker to coworker, friend to friend level? When I choose to love my neighbor. Jesus had an encounter with the lawyer and he asked Jesus a question to test him. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. In other words, you should love God with all of your being. No part of you should be separated out from loving God. All of you, every part of you, every, everything about you should be about loving God. And then he said, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said this, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, what he is saying is if you all love God and you love your neighbor then you're fulfilling everything that's written in the rest of the law because the law is all about loving God and loving your neighbor. And then, and I love how practical the Old Testament is. I love how practical the New Testament is. Notice that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? That You know, that <clears throat> we, we're not... Um, promoting here the idea of the focus of all love is self-love, okay? What that means is most people, when they look out for themselves, when they care for themselves, are looking for something that's beneficial and good for them. And what he's saying is just do for your neighbor in every circumstance you would do for yourself. So when you, when you run into someone who's got a flat tire, right, what, would, what should you help them do? Change the tire, right? Because if you were that person and it was your flat tire, what would you do? Change the tire. And so practically, when you look at every person and you wonder, how should I love my neighbor? Just think, if I was in their circumstances, in that situation, what would be good for me? And that's what I should do for them. You know, this is all through this idea of loving God and loving those that we come in contact with is at the center of the teachings of the New Testament and the Old Testament. And, you know, one of the things that will happen um, is they want to, the, the lawyers kind of want to know who is my neighbor? You know, because he wants to get out of having to love all the people. 
So who's your neighbor? When Jesus defined neighbor, he gave kind of a scope. Does anybody kind of remember like when Jesus defines neighbor, who he says is your neighbor? Don't you love Bible quiz Sunday? Okay? At the very far end, he said, love your enemies. You know, at the very close, it, it would, your neighbor would actually be your neighbor, like the people that live around you. It would be your coworkers. It, it would be the people at the gym. It, it, it would be the people at, at the um, fields that you sit on the sidelines at, that your kids are on the same team. Your neighbor would be somebody you encounter out in the community that you never met before. These are your neighbors. Someone passing through, an immigrant who's just been relocated, whether you like it or not, they're your neighbor. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've got one neighbor that I have to pray regularly to love. Does anybody have a neighbor like that? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I have battles with God over my neighbor. I'm trying not to battle my neighbor and get in trouble with God. And we all have those kind of situations. You're driving a car, somebody's riding your bumper, and you know, if you're like me, your first thought is, I wonder what happens if I tap my brakes. But shouldn't my first idea be what would happen if I got out of the way and just let him by? Love my neighbor. You're, you're standing in line at the checkout counter. Somebody's having a bad day. And it's coming across in the attitude in which they're treating you. And they're not ringing things up correctly. And, and you're, you're saying something to them. And you're getting pretty agitated. What would it look like if that was you and you were having a bad day and you were carrying a load of things nobody knew about, how would you want someone to treat you at the checkout counter if it was you? See, these are the kinds of things that Jesus meant in loving our neighbors. It's anti-worldly. It's the opposite of the kingdom of darkness. It's the opposite approach to the flesh. It's a Jesus approach. It's a love approach. And that brings us to the third thing that we need to do uh, if you and I are going to see transformation in our community is we can't just stop with acts of love. We have to share the message of love, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is so important for you and I to realize this, that transformation only happens when, in a community when hearts are transformed. When you talk about long-term, stable transformation, it begins with one or two people whose hearts are transformed, and it spreads to four and eight and 16 and 32 and 64 and 128 onto 1,000 to 2,000 to 5,000 to 10,000. And so it begins with you and I also adding to acts of love and doing good the message of hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the most interesting things in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and as he talks to them, he's reviewing for them this idea that, that they are compelled 
to be involved in other people's lives, in their community and church, because love compels them. And then after telling them that love is their motive, he says, God gave you the ministry of reconciliation. Now I'm looking. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been handed the ministry of reconciling a lost world to Jesus Christ. And not only that, but you've been given the message, he says in 2 Corinthians 5, of reconciliation. The message that Christ came and that he died on a cross to pay for our sins. That he rose from the grave, proving that he had the power to conquer sin and death. And that he can give us a new life because he himself rose from the grave. And that he wants to give to every person who responds to his gracious offer in faith the opportunity to be forgiven and made new and become a child of the kingdom. The gospel. And then he says this at the end of 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And then he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There were still some in the congregation who had not turned their lives over to Christ. And he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is. It's an envoy sent by, we'll use a king because Jesus is our king, out to another hostile, potentially hostile kingdom where he represents that king's interests to those who are of another kingdom. And that's what you and I are in this world. And then notice what he says. I, I don't want you to miss this. God, making his appeal, I want you to personalize it, through me. I am his ambassador. Where I am as a follower of Jesus, I'm placed there sovereignly, so that I have contact with people and I can make God's appeal to be reconciled, I can do that by sharing the gospel. What would happen? Let, let's, let, I want to just imagine something with you, okay? Just for a minute. You, you know, we have uh, on Sunday morning in the facility uh, and, and the West Campus on a Sunday morning about 1,000 people that come to church. We kind of keep track based on statistics, and we know that not everybody in here comes every week. As a matter of fact, we know that the average attender and member at Journey Bible Church comes less than two times a month. Ouch! Right? No, no judgment here. Let's just go with facts, okay? Let's say it's 1.8 times, all right? That means that probably there are about 2,500 unique people that are here monthly. What if all of us decided that we were going to bless our community, that we were going to love our neighbor, and we were going to share the gospel? Now, I know that's a scary thing, but let's just say that you and I are going to have four gospel conversations a year. That means from our church alone, if we didn't grow by any other reason, we would have 10,000 gospel conversations this year alone in our community. That's if you just did one a quarter with somebody you know, a friend, a family member, 
someone you met, somebody who was depressed and looking for hope. And let's say out of that, we know that the average person, I've looked up the statistics and they're all over the, but they're from seven at the least to uh, 18 at the most. They need seven to 18 gospel conversations before they give their life to Christ. So let's just say that every fifth conversation that we do is that 18th conversation for somebody. That means in one year we would see 500 people give their lives to Jesus Christ if we were having those kinds of gospel conversations. Now imagine what would happen if we did that year after year as we grew. It wouldn't be long. There would be 10,000 people in our community whose lives have been transformed by the hope of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Would that show up in the schools? Would that show up in the high schools, the grade schools? Would it show up in the counselor's offices? It'd show up everywhere. All right, I've got to keep us moving. True community transformation is the result of many gospel-driven heart transformations. Don't forget that. We have to get past just good deeds. We've got to get to the good news. And when we do, God does amazing things. Bless the community, love my neighbor, share the gospel. So now I want to challenge you. You've been sitting here, and I want to ask you, what's your first next step? You're sitting there. You've just heard this. God's approach to how you and I can be a part of transforming our community for his glory, for his honor. We want to make Jesus famous right where we live, work, and play. So what's your first next step? Because like, if I told you, you've got to leave today, and every one of you has got to go find somebody, and you can't go to bed to share the gospel... You guys, that's like, that's not a first step. That's like, that's like way down the road for some of you. So what would be first steps you could do to bless our community and love your neighbor so that you can get to the place where you share the gospel? First one, I want you to look at that grid. I want you just maybe to make a decision that you're going to pray for your neighbors. And I want you to go home and I want you to draw out a three by three grid like this. And I want you to put your name in the middle. So I I would put Mike and Elizabeth, okay, in the middle. And then we have a road that goes right in front of our house. And and we know the three neighbors across the street. So this is Wendell and and, uh, I think it's, I, I don't know, Marguerite. And then we have uh, Paul and Julie. And then we have John and Kara. And then we have Mahesh over here. And, and we have um, uh, uh, Cole and Kelly over here on that side. And I, I notice I'm pointing at them here, but you can't see what I'm pointing at. Like, not very good uh, PowerPoint uses, is it? And, and then, and so here's, here's the thing. If you drew out this three by three grid, how many of you could give me the names of everyone in the house in that three by three grid, the eight homes around you? Did you know that the national statistic where they've done this in seminars and conferences is less than 10% of the people in this auditorium actually know their neighbors? We are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And the place to start is just by praying for our neighbors. So here's, okay, so you're going, well, Mike, I don't know their names. How do I pray for them? Well, walk by their house and pray for them, and then throw a block party. You know, have a 
a pumpkin carving and provide all the free pumpkins and knives and guidance, you know? <laughs> right? But do something to start the journey of building relationships so that you can love your neighbor. Second, become a school ambassador. Right now, we have five schools that we have been asked to be a faith partner with, and we do not have school ambassadors that can um, get in there. Uh, Pray Trail Middle School, Woodland, Forest View, Clearwater Creek, and Brome Elementary Schools. We don't have anyone that wants to be the missionary from Journey Bible Church to do good in that school. Remember, good deeds build goodwill so we can have the hope and desire and opportunity to share the good news. So maybe that's you. And if you want to do that, you would go down. Uh, you could pull up our app, scroll to the bottom of the page where it says serve. You hit serve, takes you to a place. It place it says I'm interested in serving. You click that. Sorry, it's two clicks, not one. And fill it out and just put school ambassador and somebody will call you to talk to you about being a school ambassador and what that would look like. You're not committing to doing it, but maybe that's your next step. Then maybe what we, Chris asked me this week, he called me up. I said, hey, Chris, what do you need? Like in leading charge and helping to minister to the schools. By the way, you may think we're foolish um, to be spending so much energy investing in the public schools. But I'm here to tell you that every sociologist will tell you that what you see in the schools now is what will be in the community permanently 20 years from now. And whether you agree with what the schools are doing or not, our schools are shaping the future. Therefore, if we're invited in, guess what we want to do? Shape the future. And we want to get involved. We even have people serving in the schools that are homeschooling their own kids because they believe it's so important to do good to our community. And so Chris said, I need, I need a group of like special elite Minutemen forces. And these are people that would just sign up and be on a list of 50 people that when a school calls and says, hey, our program's falling apart, I, I need 10 volunteers to help with the family fun night and run the games and, and, and you know, sell popcorn and things like that so that families can be with their kids, that, that he would have a list of people he could call on. So if you want to do that, in our events page is actually a Join the Minute Men, Minute Women team. And all you're doing is saying, I could be available last minute, and all I do is watch reruns on Netflix at night. Like, I could go do that. And then lastly, we have a Lunch and Learn October 8th. And maybe you're sitting here and you go, Mike, this, I, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. I'm in a journey group, and, and I, I'm, I'm serving here in the church. I, I don't know if I have space. I don't, I don't know what to do. Well, if you come to the Lunch and Learn on October 8th, they're going to explain more of the opportunities. They'd explain for, to you how a journey group could get involved in helping a school so that you're not adding something to it, that you could take one journey group meeting a week maybe, or not a week, a month or a quarter to go help work in the schools. 
Church, there's in, in the 1980s, there, there was a Christ the King church in San Diego, and um, it has a statue out front of it of Jesus holding his hands out like this. And he's holding his hands out like this, and vandals thought it would be funny. So they climbed up on the statue, and they lopped off Jesus' stone hands. And so he's standing there with nubs, and they're figuring out, you know, how do we, we, can we get this repaired? Can we do? And then, and then one guy said, no, I don't think we should get it repaired. I think we should just put a new plaque. It says, I have no hand but yours. I have no hands but yours. And we should just remind people that tangibly today, the hands of Jesus, the mouth of Jesus, the heart of Jesus is the people of Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we realize how desperately we need for you to move in our lives so that, God, we will join you where you're already working. And so, Lord, we just submit afresh to who you are and what you do, and we ask that you would do great and amazing things in mobilizing our church to bless our community and to do, oh Lord, the things that you've called us to do so that not only will good be done and people be helped, but hearts would be transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. Thanks for listening.